The following podcast was recorded and produced by lapsed Star Wars enjoyers. While the hosts approach the material with some residual fondness, they are frequently reductive, dismissive, inaccurate, disrespectful, and deeply unfair to George Lucas, Timothy Zahn, and the Star Wars intellectual property in general. If this sounds like a bad time to you, you will have a bad time. Caveat listener, and on to the show. Hello and welcome back to the Thronderdome. The only, and I and I and I mean this uh, very sincerely, the only real Star Wars podcast out there. Um, there may be some other people talking about Star Wars, but there is no one really delving into the true heart of Star Wars, which is of course Timothy Zahn's Thrawn trilogy, which we uh, are going through uh, with a fine-toothed comb. I am your host, Doctor Daniel Dotty, uh, joined by my co-host Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how you feeling? Feeling good. Uh, just got. Done uh, walking about three miles. I'm ready to ready for some talking about uh, <laughs> about Thrawn and and all of his friends. <laughs> Worked up a real appetite for Thrawning out there. Uh, all right. Well, uh, this is I think this is an exciting milestone for the show because this is our first episode that does not have any kind of setup or bonus material that we're leading in with. We're not introducing anything or contextualizing anything. So we get just get to jump right into Timothy Zahn's astounding crystalline mind palace that he has built for us here in uh heir to the empire chapters four through eight uh let's just get into it let's see what our what our uh our heroes are up to and when i say heroes i mean thrawn and captain Peleon, because chapter four opens with i think what might be and you correct me if i'm wrong or if you've seen this anywhere else in star wars media this might be the only time it's ever explained how long it takes to travel through space. Because uh, the chapter opens saying it took the Chimera five days at 0.4 hyperspace to travel the 350 light years uh, between Taloncard's planet and planet Whalen. Uh, and has, has it ever, in Star Wars, has it ever like been even suggested how long it takes to go anywhere? Well, I mean, there's not like a 24-esque uh, little clock in the corner of the screen telling you what time it is, so I guess not. <laughs> I just always, it's just always like, I have no idea, like, you know, how long does it take Luke to get to Dagobah and Empire Strikes Back? Is he is he sitting in that little X-Wing for days or is it just hours? Like, how long did, I don't know. It's, and especially with like the new movies, I, I noticed that especially, like, they were zooming around and I had no context for, like, how long anything was taking, but... Uh, I, well, do I mean, think it's, you good. know, it's a it's a Star War. I mean, they don't have like weekends or anything, so does it really <laughs> matter how long things take? Yeah, they did not have a very strong uh, labor movement in the Star Wars galaxy, so they don't have weekends like we do. Uh, one with the blood, sweat, and tears of your worker forebears. Um, so anyway, uh, Thrawn and Pelean, after having uh, sort of negotiated a little deal with Talon Card about uh, Card helping them acquire the Force suppressing salamanders. Uh, have arrived. Around oh, this is this is something I like because, uh, like in the second paragraph, like like we've talked before about how uh, Zahn isn't really good at like describing what things look like <laughs> or are. Yes, but he d- he does a classic uh, sci-fi writer tick, I think, of just saying, "Well, the Yal Samari are salamander-like," so it's basically saying. Yeah, just picture a salamander, okay? <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe there's like a little, little frill on it, or maybe it's colored differently, but it's basically a salamander. 
it's, it's described as fur scaled, which I actually took a little while to try to think of what that would be like, and I I still don't quite have it. Is it like I don't know? Maybe it's like a pangolin with fur sticking out between the scales. I don't know. Uh, yeah, and I'm really not sure. Speaking of things that aren't described well, they're described as like having because you know like Talon Card was like, aha, if you remove them from the tree, they won't survive or whatever. But they've they the 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 boys down in the lab on the Star Destroyer figured out a way to have them on a portable frame. And it's just said that they're attached to a, a pipe and attached frame were heavy, but there's no indication of like how they were blasted heavy. <laughs> they were blasted heavy. So presumably it's like being worn around their necks, I guess, or on their backs. Is it like a mink stole? I don't, <laughs> it's, it I thought not... it was kind of like a, I thought it was kind of like a backpack. Like when uh, Luke had like, uh, yeah. Yoda on his back. <laughs> so there, well, there you go. We have established that in the Star Wars universe, there is backpack tech. So that's probably what it is. Um, so Thrawn and Peleon and the little uh, simpering Dobby uh, Rook are on a shuttle. They're dropping down to the planet's surface, and you, it, as as with like when this happens on Star Trek, I always think it's a little weird when they send their senior most officers out into the unknown. But in this instance, it, it kind of makes sense because, of course, Thrawn is hoping to consult with the guardian of the Emperor's storehouse. You remember they are there to get some kind of forbidden tech that's been hidden in a secret storehouse in a mountain there. So they fly down and land in the middle of a city, which um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna read it I'm gonna read it verbatim here. Uh, interesting, Thrawn commented, looking out the viewports as he settled his Isalamiri backpack onto his shoulders. Okay, there we go, it's a backpack. There are at least three styles of architecture out there. Human, plus two different alien species. It's not often you see such diversity in the same planetary region, let alone side by side in the same city. In fact, that palace thing in front of us has itself incorporated elements from all three styles. And this is a great passage. <laughs> This is a very it, re- it reads a lot passage. like a first draft, and like he put in the margins, like add details later, <laughs> right? Or like clean up grammar. <laughs> like it's just really, and that's all we get. Like I just think it's really funny that like we're so, part of what's interesting about this place is its architecture style. Like Thrawn is interested in it. We as a reader are supposed to find that interesting as well because Thrawn is also kind of a. I think Thrawn is also kind of a reader insert as well as a Zahn insert. Um. But we're not given anything. There's, it has human-style architecture. <laughs> like, what the hell is that? <laughs> well, I, I think my favorite part of that passage is when he says that palace thing in front of us. That palace thing. That's <laughs> definitely like a, a Zahn first draft. Like, okay, <laughs> come up with something better than that palace thing. <laughs> right. Not even palatial building or something. Like, there are any number of ways that a sophisticated, smooth talker like Thrawn would be able to put that. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I was telling you, like, earlier, like, so far, Thrawn has been really precise in his language, and now he's just calling stuff things. <laughs> that uh, doohickey. That thing. Um, I, I swear, so- if, if he calls something a thingy, <laughs> like a Josh, Josh Whedon character, uh-huh. I'm quitting the podcast, and we're, I'm not we're, reading we're the book anymore. <laughs> throwing it down in a rage. Um so uh, they get out of the uh, they get out of the shuttle. They uh, step out into the city. Um, it's it's deserted, or it appears to be deserted. But they have like their sensors tell them there's a bunch of people hiding in the in the buildings. And so Thrawn pulls out his, a little uh, megaphone disc and uh, does the "Take me to your leader" bit, um, which nets him uh, an arrow in the side. <laughs> so someone someone shoots an arrow at him, 
Uh, and it he was wearing body armor, so it bounces harmlessly off the body armor hidden beneath his white uniform. Um, and uh, Rook, of course, uh, the uh, the bodyguard slash assassin, whatever little alien guy, is uh, he zeroes in on where that shot came from. It's a two-story structure. Uh, again, thank you, Timothy, for telling me that. Is it human architecture? I don't know. He doesn't say. Uh, so he just starts unloading his blaster gun on the thing and, and brings the whole building down, which I didn't know weapons like that were man portable in Star Wars. But I just I like know. how long it takes for him to, to knock down the building because it takes him 20 <laughs> shots. That's right. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, say what you will, it didn't take that much for the World Trade Center to go down. Like two planes. <laughs> That's true. Well, possibly, I mean, possibly some charges. We don't know. <laughs> I was gonna say, Ronnie. After the after we record, I have a documentary called Loose Change. I want you to watch with me. Um, yeah, it just seems anything. like very anticlimactic. It's like, yeah, he can ne- he can level a building in twenty in shots. Twenty shots. And also, like, I'm wondering, like, what is everyone doing while they're waiting for the <laughs> for this to go, to go on? I don't know. Um, well, it reminds so, me of that Simpsons line where, where Milhouse is looking after Bart's factory and he's like, well, first it started to fall <laughs> over and then it fell over. <laughs> it fell over. <laughs> so yes, much like Bart's factory, the uh, the building falls over. This actually gets, uh, you know, and Thrawn does the, again, take me to your leader. And then someone says, I will take you to him and steps out. And there's a guy described um, as wearing really an outfit that sounds exactly like you remember in Star Trek, the motion picture when they're getting the gang back together and they yeah. interrupt, uh, Dr. McCoy's, uh, disco, uh, bacchanalia. And he's like dressed with like that velour suit and with a scraggly beard and a huge medallion. That's what yeah. this guy's dressed like. That's, that's who I'm picturing. Well, um, it kind of sounds like, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Cause he's like this, this, uh, guy with unkept gray hair and a, and a beard that, yeah, that I guess it's almost to the middle of his chest. It's the it's the standard for yeah, and, and it covers up his medallion a little bit, which it was a nice. I think that that was a funny detail to include. Thank you for including one detail, Mister Zahn. Um, yeah, it does kind of sound like that's kind of the bog standard like exiled Jedi outfit. I guess. Um, that, that's I guess that's what, something I find Jedi's... found interesting. Actually, we talk about Jedi because uh, I realize mm-hmm. that. That this was, you know, the early 90s, so this was before they came up with the concept of Sith. So, yes. this guy's supposed to be, this guy would obviously be a Sith now, but instead he's called a Dark Jedi. A Dark Jedi. And you know what's extra fun? Um, I uh, I forget where I first read this, so I can't cite chapter and verse on it. But I recall reading, there was a point where Timothy's on, like, part of, like, the... Uh, he had originally intended to call the race of the little Dobbies who are the assassins. His original name for them was Sith, you know, cause they, I guess cause they have little, you know, hissy faces and stuff. So he calls them Sith. And then LucasArts told him to, to knock it off and don't use that word, but they didn't. But I do think that's interesting that they didn't tell him to use it instead for the evil Jedis. <laughs> I guess they were just keeping the whole thing under wraps. Don't use that then, word. That's our word. Right. <laughs> but it does get used later on in, I want to say it gets used in, like, the comics, like the Dark Horse comics, and it definitely gets used later on in some of the video games in the late 90s, even before the prequels come out. There's yeah, a, but, I, but I just thought it was an interesting signpost that this is, like, really early on in yeah, the yeah. Uh, expanded universe crap where, 
You know, they didn't even have a, a word for bad guy Jedi, so they just called him Dark Jedi. Dark Jedi, <laughs> right? So uh, this this guy agrees to uh, take them to the Guardian, and he leads them into the uh, into the palace thing, as Thrawn put it, uh, into a room which is filled with candles and with a big stone sarcophagus in it. It was a crypt. Uh, and so uh, Thrawn is like, I see, so he is dead. And the old man is like, he is dead. Do you see all the candles, Grand Admiral Thrawn? Uh, I see them. The people must have honored him greatly. Honored him, the old man snorted gently. Hardly. Those candles mark the graves of offworlders who have come here since his death. And uh, so he says that he killed them all just as I killed the Guardian, and he raises up his hands to force lightning. Thrawn and Pelayan and, uh, and Rook and, uh, is, is astonished when the lightning kind of disappears as it gets close to them. And I, I liked the scene for a couple of reasons. One, how much... Really, I mean, you, you can't help but think of the, of the drill tweet about the candles budget. Because like, if you have a hundred candles going, and those are all going, like he didn't know Thrawn was coming. This is just every day he lights hundreds of candles to honor all the people he blasted to death, I guess. Uh, I, it was just a really funny thing to think of, like, I guess maybe he has his minions do it or something, but like it's just a really fun kind of uh, little touch that he gives to the place. And I also love just how instantly he was ready to kill them, too. <laughs> just, just right away, right off the bat. Um, but of course, one he's, thing he's, I he's, noticed. One thing I noticed is that uh, um, Zahn constantly uh, refers to him as having like a regal face, and I'm just wondering, like, what exactly does a regal face mean? How can your <laughs> face be regal? <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. Like, yeah, like I mean, I guess a Habsburg jaw is a regal face, technically. Uh, but that's probably not what he's. Talking I mean, about. is it like a face that looks like it could be on money or something? Is it perhaps a dignified face? I don't. I don't know. It's hey, that's up to. That's the wonderful thing about Timothy Zahn is he really he really trusts the reader to use their imagination because he can't be bothered. <laughs> um. So anyway, they they have a little uh, a little back and forth, uh, and it uh, he finally introduces himself as the Jedi Master Jorus Kabeoth. And uh, this is this, this is shocking to Peleon, but we'll we'll come back to that, I guess. He's like, Joris Kabeoth. Uh, Thrawn tells him to be quiet. Um, so they go and uh, have a a little. There's a, like a little tense moment between like one of one of Joris's guys tries to shoot an arrow. Joris stops it in mid-flight with the Force and then stops Rook from blasting that guy. Um, but they go and you know since since. Joris knows that he can't force lightning them to death. He's ready to talk. Uh, and includes one of my favorite lines of dialogue so far. You will now tell me, Kabeoth said, gesturing them to low cushions, how it was you defeated my attack. <laughs> Which, again, it's, you know, uh, cl- clearly he's, you know, the, this is meant to sound, like, imposing or serious or whatever. But, like, it's, it's it sounds like padding for word count. And then, you know, uh, Thrawn explains that uh, the reason he was able to stop the Force Lightning is because he had a salamander in his backpack. <laughs> right. I would think I would want to keep that, that card close to my chest until I was a little more whatever. But, but you know, Thrawn, we, I mean, he's a genius. He's a tactical genius. He's a deals genius. Um, so he's, ma- he's making the deal uh, with, with Joris here. Um, 
of course, he's offering all kinds of things like, ah, oh, you would have power, you could command, you know, star destroyers and stuff. Um, but Joris isn't isn't all that interested. What uh, Thrawn does start explaining, though, about what happened to the Imperial fleet at the uh, the Battle of Endor. So I know we mentioned. I... Oh, go ahead. I just want to I just want to cut in and say I really like the way Thrawn explains how the Salamander uh, stops the Force because he. He says, here's a line, he says, uh, Much the same way a bubble is created by air pushing outward against water, a single Yalasimir can occasionally create a bubble as large as 10 meters across. A whole group of them reinforcing one another can create much larger ones. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, for a tactical genius, he's also telling him exactly what the salamander can do. <laughs> right. He's just, he's just like, well, here's how they work. And, and also, I don't think air pushing outward against water is what makes a bubble, but... I don't know, I'm not a phys- I'm not a fluid dynamicist, you know, I don't know. Maybe it does in space. Uh, that's, pro- that's probably how it works in the Star Wars galaxy, you're right. Um, so, uh, there's, you know, some, some more back and forth. Um, Thrawn explains that the, the Emperor had been using a kind of, like, force domination, like, I guess Jedi mind trick on the entire Imperial Navy to get them to be good at their jobs. <laughs> and so when he died, they stopped being good at their jobs. And uh, Thrawn wants Joris to do that for him. Uh, as well as, I mean, there's other, you know, you know Thrawn. There's, there's always a lot of moving parts in his plans. But mostly that seems to be what he's after from uh, Joris here. And also whatever's in the, uh, the, the storehouse. Oh, that's right. So the, the technology he's after in the storehouse is a cloaking device. Apparently an experimental prototype cloaking device. Um so Joris is a little, he's not going for it. He's like, you know, I got a pretty sweet life here. I have my medallion. I have my candles. I get to boss these people around, you know. What, what can you Yeah, he give says me? that he has the entire city is his to control. Right, He's got like right. an entire uh, empire, like Best Buy warehouse of crap. <laughs> and I do, but I do think he makes a good point that like, you know, uh, Thrawn is like, ah, but what if you could commit? You could be the you know viceroy of an entire sector of the galaxy, and Joris points out like, no, I get to personally boss these people around. I'm not sitting in some office. I'm walking around telling these people what to do all day. It's great, <laughs> like I'm face to face. Yeah, it's real. Like you know, I'm happy being a big fish in a small pond as opposed to a a, a regular fish in a big pond. Right. So, right. Uh, so Thrawn has to like sweeten the deal by saying like. Yeah, well, what about uh, what about Jedi? How about those guys? <laughs> what about Jedi babies? You interested? Because <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> uh, uh, Joris uh, thinks that like all the Jedi have been wiped out, right? But right. but uh, Thrawn so, informs him, no, there's actually uh, there's this guy Luke Skywalker, and he has a sister, and the sister's pregnant. So that's like ultimately four Jedi that you could like boss around. I do. It was really funny that, like, yeah, they're saying, like, uh, and with them would come a special bonus because Leia Organa Solo is pregnant with twins. Kabaoth inhaled sharply. Jedi twins? He hissed. <laughs> like, they're really. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know anything about Jedi lore. Are, like, twins supposed to be especially, like, powerful or do they, can they do, like, combo moves? I don't know, but he's very excited at the prospect. Well, twin, twins are in, inherently fascinating. I mean,. You know, Mengele was interested in them for a reason. <laughs> that's well. That's that's true. They are. They are I mean, they look. They look alike. They they speak in like their own twin language. It's cool. It's it's weird. 
That's cool. That's that's yeah. And if there's one thing Joris enjoys, it's stuff that's cool and weird. Sorry. Uh, well, I say Joris, but uh, we'll have so anyway. Joris is on board. Uh, that 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 brings him on board. Later on, uh, on the on the ship on the Chimera, uh, Palan joins the Grand Admiral in his in his art filled command room, uh, and Thrawn kind of explains a little bit um, that. Uh, you know, like it can't be George Cabeoth because George Cabeoth is dead. He was apparently part of a uh, a cadre of Jedi Masters who were on some sort of like mission to extend the authority of the Old Republic, and this was like they got Order sixty six basically by the Emperor, but it was before the mass killing. of It was all the before other the Jedis. Clone Wars, even. So right, it's, it's, right. Well, I mean, you just have to remember that this is before like any of this, any of the prequel stuff was like set in stone, so. There yeah. was just like a stray reference to the Clone Wars in the original trilogy, and that was about it. Right. That's 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 all you had. Yeah. That actually that comes up a little bit later. That this it's a very uh, it's not very crystallized yet. Um, but uh, but anyway, Thrawn explains what's happening here. Uh, it's like okay, so he's dead. Um, Pelayan's like, well, but but who is it we have on board the Chimera? Thrawn finished the question for him. I should have thought that obvious. Jorus Kabeoth. Note the telltale mispronunciation of the name Joris. Is a clone. So that's how you can tell. Telltale mispronunciation. <laughs> Made up name. Fuck you. What's, what's great? What's great is that this I know of at least one other Star Wars media property that uses that uh, conceit because there's a, a Dark Horse comic series called Dark Empire, which features a clone of Luke called Luke with two U's. Also, so, I mean that—that's that, the way you find out he's a clone. He can't pronounce his own name. He can't pronounce his own name. That's what every clone, <laughs> I guess, part of the uh, <clears throat> pardon me, part of the cloning process is that you come out of the tube and you can't pronounce your own name, but you think you're the guy. I have no idea, no idea. Um, I thought it was like an evidence that he was a clone, considering he's supposed to be like a Jedi master, but he's just like the sort of deranged hobo who lives on a mountain. <laughs> Right. Uh, now, so speaking of deranged, um, and this is an element I thought was interesting, like you mentioned, like the, the idea of what the Clone Wars were has had not yet sort of crystallized. Uh, early in the war, in other words, play on said swallowing hard. Uh, let's see. The early clones, or at least those the fleet had faced, had been highly unstable, both mentally and emotionally, sometimes spectacularly so. So... Again, this is back when the Clone Wars were imagined to have been a conflict between the Old Republic military and a bunch of clones. And not the Old Republic military using a bunch of clones <laughs> to fight their wars for them. Which is a really weird script flip. Like, I, it's very difficult to uh, synopticize these to use a little bit of um, biblical criticism <laughs> terminology. But it was just that was a very weird touch. I think that along with the, um, uh, I don't know. Yeah, was, there are a lot of hints that were early on in the in the establishing of the extended universe, and in this one chapter, it's that's pretty funny. I never um, really understood why they needed a clone army because you know space. So there's like you know trillions of people. Like, could yeah. you just have a draft or whatever? Right. I mean, there's 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 the team. You know, I, I, just off the top of my head, uh, there's the teeming slums of Narshada. Boom. You know, conscripts there. How many how many honorable warrior races do you think were members of the Old Republic? They got to be dozens. I mean, come on. Recruiting should not be a problem. 
Uh, I guess we'll have to rewatch the prequels to see why they say they need clones. And it, yeah, <laughs> I just remember like you know uh, Obi Wan going to that planet with like the 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 Slenderman people, and there's like, oh yeah, some old Jedi like commissioned a clone army, and well, there <laughs> right. it is. There you go. And so I mean, maybe it was like just some fucking like weird line item that that some Jedi like put in the 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 old Republic budget. Like, and then they had like to use some, it, <laughs> like some some pork barrel deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's right. It was like uh, yeah, it was a kickback to the Slenderman people company. Um, yeah, those, well, those mean, damn clone subsidies. Ultimately, what this all is, and like a lot of stuff in Star Wars, there was a line George Lucas wrote in the first movie to make it sound science fictiony, and he didn't know what he meant by it. And there's an entire media empire later trying to square the circle of what this means it's the same thing as what happened if you i don't know if you've ever been familiar with the debate around um han solo's use of the word parsec in the uh in the first movie when they're in the Maslasi canteen and he's like oh the mediterranean or the mediterranean falcon <laughs> the millennium falcon made the kessel run in under 12 parsecs and that's a funny line because the parsec, of course, is a unit of distance. It's not a unit of time. Uh, but nerds have been arguing themselves in circles over why you would use it that way ever since, coming up with all sorts of stupid stuff. When the actual answer is George Lucas didn't know what the word meant. Right? Well, I, well, I know for a fact that, like, you know, all these Disney Star Wars movies uh, and, like, even the prequels to to an extent, I mean... They've just been sort of like picking the bones of the original trilogy, like looking yeah. for for every stray line of dialogue or, you know, Wolfman in the background of the cantina and like, <laughs> well, that's that's a guy or, or, you know, I know that in the solo movie that I barely remember, I mean, they explained what the Kessel Run was. So it's like, you know, yeah. just taking taking original lines uh, from the from the movie and like, well, we can make a scene out of that, I guess. Yeah, I'd be curious. I need to watch that uh, Han Solo movie because, of course, I am a Ron Howard uh, completist. I, uh, I, uh, I you you every... really don't. I mean, I watched <laughs> no, like I'm... all those. I watched all those movies over the course of two days, and like, oh, that's all right, I can remember did. from from uh, Solo is that they have a really dumb reason for why he's called Han Solo because yeah. you know he gets his. He gets his last name from Space Ellis Island, I guess. <laughs> right, he couldn't just that couldn't just be his name. No, it has to have a. Yeah. And then there's also like a character I think played by the 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 Fleabag woman, uh, uh, Phoebe Waller Bridgers or whatever, who's mm-hmm. like a robot and is like agitating for robot rights, and it's like, haha, funny robots aren't people. <laughs> it's the it's the house elf thing all over again. Um, it, it's like you know in in the Harry Potter books where Hermione is like you know, trying to get the house elves suffrage and they're like, Oh, you silly, silly pie in the sky. Literally leftist. everyone treats it as a big joke. Like Harry Potter, the guy, the hero is like, ah, that's funny. You idiot. You fucking pie in the sky. Liberal. Yeah, but do it. You think these sentient creatures deserve rights? <laughs> no wonder he became a cop. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that that kind of wraps up where we are with uh, with Thrawn at this point. Um, so he's he's recruited his dark Jedi. Um, he's got uh, he's 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 got his crazy clone, and he and he has the cloaking device. And they're being cagey about the other another almost trivial bit of technology. And Zahn's very cagey with that. We still don't know what that is. 
So we'll find out later. And I don't remember what that is actually. So this is going to be fun. For yeah, me. a, a uh, lot also, of like we're still it. in the we're, st- we're still in the part of the book where it's a lot of table setting. Yeah, like he's just setting up stuff that you know ideally will pay off at some point. <laughs> we shall have to see. Speaking of table setting, uh, what's what's next up for chapter five, Ronnie? It's everyone's favorite. It's a it's a high council arguing scene. My my yeah, favorite uh, kind of scene in yeah. literature. Yeah, I mean, speaking of what I was just saying about how uh, these extended universe uh, books and materials are just picking the bones of like the original trilogy, we get an introduction of a of a race of people that that was created in a line of dialogue from Return of the Jedi. Um, <laughs> just a, yeah, exactly. When I think Mon Mothma said, like, you know, many Bothans died to get us like the information about the second Death Star. Yeah. Well, now we get to see Bothans, and they're uh, cow people, I guess. And and we get to see that uh, they are unscrupulously leveraging that heroic sacrifice for power on the council to Admiral Akbar's dismay, <laughs> because we have a. So Han Solo is giving his report about uh, talking with Travis or Jarvis or whoever the the smuggler guy, Travis. Um, yeah, Travis. How it didn't go all that well, in part because, of course, he's working closely with Admiral Akbar, who is like the scourge of the smugglers. Um, there's a there's a something I like from the like first uh, page of chapter five, where it says, uh, you know, uh, Admiral Akbar's high domed head bobbed twice in some indecipherable calamarian gesture. <laughs> no, it's his, it's his head bobbing twice. I mean, you just described what it was. You just described it. It's it's not. I mean. Uh, you could just—he sounded a little disgusted, and his head bobbed twice. Okay, I deciphered the gesture. It's a—it's a—it's a move. It's a motion they make when they're disgusted with you. Um, I do like the. I Admiral mean, if, if not for the fact that like it's written in like third person, I sort of like the interpretation that like Han Solo is just really ignorant about other species. <laughs> so he like sees a yeah. Calamarian uh, nod his head and is like, "I don't know what the hell that means. I don't know what am I supposed to? What am I supposed to do with that?" Um, but, uh, so, so anyway, uh, so Admiral Akbar is, is kind of roasting Han's ass over failing again. Uh, Phalia, the Bothan, uh, Borsk is, Phalia. Uh, Please get the la- <laughs> the first name. Borsk. I'm sorry, Bor- Borsk Phalia. That's right. Uh, Borsk Phalia. Hmm. He has violet eyes like, uh, Elizabeth, uh, what's her name? Elizabeth Taylor. Anyway, and uh, cream-colored yeah. fur, just cream-colored like Elizabeth fur. Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> so I'm picturing Elizabeth Taylor for this role. <laughs> even even so, though uh, even though Borsk is a is a male, but you know, hey, it's the 21st century. Uh, guys can be Elizabeth Taylor too. So that's right. Whatever. That, you know what? It's all about it's all about you know whatever you want to be really. And you're a Bothan, you know. Uh, so there's a little bit of this is your standard like. Uh, arguing around the conference table kind of scene. I hate those. I skip them whenever possible, whenever I'm reading a book, uh, which meant I skipped a lot of Dune Messiah. <laughs> but uh, but they kind of titter back and forth. It's basically just setting up that like the fractures within the New Republic, right? It's it's Akbar against the Bothans. Mon Mothma is tired of all of it. Um, Leia yeah, is I sort mean- of... I mean, it would be kind of boring, but they're like these little flourishes that I found like oddly funny because there's a line where uh, Han had little doubt that failure would ultimately be shunted off to some relatively unimportant government post 
in the New Republic if it hadn't happened that the spies who discovered the existence and location of the Emperor's new Death Star had been a group of Thalia's Bothans. So basically Han's like, yeah, well, this guy's just, you know, gold bricking on the on that whole uh, <laughs> Bothan spy shit. Right. He's stealing valor, essentially. Uh but yeah, there was a... Oh, I, I I forgot to mention earlier in the Thrawn scenes, there is some uh, there's some indication that uh, Thrawn has some sort of spy in. He has some sort of intelligence in with the New Republic. So he's able to like know that there's a diplomatic mission coming up. Because they're talking about a, a, a diplomatic mission to Bimsari. They're going to talk to the Bims, try to get them on board onto the, uh, onto the New Republic. Um and the thing is, I'm I'm a little I'm hey you know I have my suspicions. Who is it? Who's the leaky the leaky boat here? Now, I don't know. We don't know much about Winter, and I don't quite trust her. And also, I do not remember what her character does. <laughs> so, or maybe it's Phalia. You know, I mean, who? who yeah, I mean, it? it's it's a it's a whodunant. Uh, it's a it's a exactly that's exactly right. Is it the uh, the poorly characterized new character or the other poorly characterized new character? Because it's probably not <laughs> going to be Admiral Akbar. Is it the right, right? Is it the vaguely described uh, alien or the uh, lady with white hair, or yeah. you know, any number of people? You know, who could? It might be Wedge Antilles, uh, the famous Wedge Antilles, uh, who has not reappeared since joining Han on his trip to Mos Eisley. <laughs> He's. I would have figured like he would have been in on the report, but he was not there. So really, the the main upshot of all of this is that they uh, agree on going on a diplomatic mission to Bimsari, Bimisari. Uh, bringing basically the whole gang is back together. It's going to be Luke. It's going to be Leia, Han, Chewie, R two D two, and three three PO. They're all going on the all the Falcon. all the people on the lunchbox. Everyone on the lunchbox. They're all going to be there. That's the, they're all together. The the thermos. You know, they're this. It's all the whole lunchbox is together. And so they they fly over in the Millennium Falcon to land on Bimisari, which is. Uh, <laughs> Which I just really love. Uh, chapter 6 opens. The waving alien trees shied back like some sort of huge tentacles from the landing area. And with the barest of bumps, Han set the Millennium Falcon down on uneven ground. Well, here we are. <laughs> he announced to no one in particular. <laughs> I do like how the trees are described as alien. It's like, well, you yeah. know, how can you tell these trees aren't regular trees? Well, they're alien trees. They're alien, right? You can just give us like, okay, so they 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 move like huge tentacles. Great. Could you give us anything? But no, no. Again, Zon trusts the reader to to, to fill in what he could not be bothered with. Um, I think you know it's more like Zon thinks he's writing a screenplay, and like Industrial Light and Magic is going to cover all this for him. I think that's exactly it. And I'm glad you brought that up because I. I noticed something right when I while, while I've been reading this, and it and it bothers me, and 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 I know exactly what's happening. It, I think it's exactly like you said. At no point has Zon described any of these starships. At no point has he said anything about what a star destroyer looks like. No, we don't. He's he's described nothing about what the Millennium Falcon looks like. Nothing about what the shuttle that they took down to the planet's surface, you know, with Thrawn and Plan looked like. And, like, I understand from his standpoint, it's like, well, the only people who are going to be reading this are people who have seen these movies and like them. So I can just, you know, they know what a Star Destroyer looks like. I don't have to say anything about it. But it makes for a very strange reading science fiction novel, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, 
like it's really it's just something I noticed and I've not been able to I've not been able to shake like anytime something comes up that like anytime something comes up that was a prop in the movie Zahn just does not even bother does not bother with anything about it it's uh it was it was interesting I mean um, on, on some level it's refreshing because it's it's like he knows who he's writing for he knows that like the people that are reading this know Star Wars so it's like I don't need to tell you what Mark Hamill looks like come on <laughs> right it's your old buddy Luke you have the lunchbox you know so like so he's <laughs> chewy he's a big wolf man whatever yeah I it's just the 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 boy yeah it's really it's really something I think it's like the I most he it. gets to describing like C-3PO is like oh yeah he's gold yeah his shiny gold parts yeah um so they've landed on Bimisari. They uh, they have an official reception committee, and apparently, I'm uh, I'm trying to find where there's any. Well, here's what we get for describing the Bims. They were waiting where the path exited the trees. Hundreds of Bims standing, perhaps twenty deep, on both sides of the way, all clothed in the same tooled yellow. The official reception committee shifted to single file and started down the gauntlet without giving the crowd a second glance. Um, that. <sighs> So what do these aliens look like? Well, they wear yellow. <laughs> sure. Sure. Why not? <laughs> and there's, uh, there's, I, I will say that like, I, I think we actually get the most description and at least I felt the most sense of place when uh, Zahn is describing the kind of the, the BIM city as they're walking through They're They're going to the Tower of Law. That's their location of their planetary council. So there's like a, a tower, a three level dome. Uh, I'm sorry, and and, and uh, next to it is the uh, is is the great uh, marketplace, which is a three level dome with the sides and most of the roof cut away. So at least we sort of get an idea of like where things are in relation to each other, which was nice. Um, I just started daydreaming about how cool it would be if we renamed the Supreme Court the Tower of Law. That would be that would be pretty badass. Uh, there was one of the coolest things I've ever read in my life was in uh, Edward Gibbons' Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. There's a segment where he's talking about one of the uh, Byzantine uh, uh, Sasanian Wars, so between the Byzantine Empire and the uh, Sasanian Empire of Iran, the pre-Islamic Empire, and um, the sh- the Shah uh, I forget which probably Shapur um, had captured some you know some princeling in Armenia who's giving him trouble and banished him to the Tower of Oblivion. Which is like, man, if you're an ancient emperor, <laughs> it's really cool to have a tower of oblivion. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, I like I like something that. that's in, that's important for the plot is that uh, the Bims won't let uh, Han carry his uh, blaster into the city. That's but right. Yeah, they don't know what a lightsaber is, so they don't say anything to Luke. That that yeah. that's important later. That is that is imp- that does become important. Here's a touch. Tell me tell me if you think I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but. I want I want to run this by you, Ronnie. So they're talking about the marketplace. Looks like a three-level dome with the sides and most of the roof cut away. Three um, PO, it's the city's main marketplace. Three PO told her, translating a BIM reply. He says they prefer the open air whenever possible. That roof probably stretches out to cover more of the dome framework when the weather's bad. Han added. Is that a reference to like sports arenas? Is is this that, like a that's sort what of I was like, thinking of? Okay. <laughs> I thought this was. I think this is a hot chocolate thing again. I think this is like a little, like, n- n- like 
you know, nudging the in the ribs about like, huh? Yeah, it's like the Superdome or whatever. I don't know. I thought it was. Yeah, it'd be cool if um, there was a retractable dome. It, I think the Bims would would uh, would like that because then you know they could just uh, be covered when it was raining or whatever precipitation they get in in Bim world. That's right. When the when the 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 rain falls on the Bims, um, some so, sort of alien uh, rain. <laughs> some sort of alien rain. <laughs> So anyway. yeah, yeah. So so Bim is a gun-free zone. So Bim you is a gun- just know yeah. that 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 violence is going to break out eventually. That's right, because that's what happens. There's going to be no uh, no literal good guy with a gun available. That's right, to, to and moreover, it. moreover, they split them up. Uh, yeah. So uh, Luke is like they want Luke to come look at some artifacts in the Tower of Law, and for Leia and Han. Uh, to go to the marketplace, right? Uh, I guess as like a, they're very proud oh, of their marketplace. So they're going to tour around or something. There's, there's a funny uh, exchange where C3PO says uh, he says they would probably find it excessively dull. Uh, frankly, if it's anything like marketplaces I've seen, then uh, Han cuts it and says, "I like I like marketplaces." Uh, brusquely, his voice dark with suspicion. I like them a lot. And I enjoyed that because <laughs> it's one of the one of the few lines I've uh, I've come through so far. I mean, I mean, uh, obviously, like when I'm reading the book, I imagine you know the the actors from the movie, but I could definitely like imagine uh, Harrison Ford's line delivery of that. Yeah, yeah, that, that was actually kind of funny because he's they were trying to split Han and Leia up as well. It was like, oh, Han and Luke, you guys come see the thing. And Han's like, no, 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 I'm sticking. I like marketplaces. That was that was pretty good. We'll give it. Hey, point for Zon. You know, credit where it's due. Um, so Luke agrees to like. All right, he doesn't want to. You know, he doesn't sense any duplicity in them. No, nothing beyond that of normal politics, anyway. Huh? How about those clowns in Congress, Ronnie? Those clowns uh, on Coruscant, eh? How How about those clones in Congress? All right. Yeah. <laughs> you think so, there's uh, ever been so, a clone that was in like the Galactic Senate? Like you I know. yeah, well I'm sure there was. I think I recall from the uh, again from the EU ninety stuff. There was a a race of people who were all clones, and so like the entire population, it was like there were maybe a million different types of guys, and everyone was cloned from one of those guys. Uh, so and the, I, the I guess, yeah. fucking prequel clone were so boring because it's all just clones of Tamara Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> To us, like, yeah. no, no, like, you know, presence or, or, or amiability whatsoever. He's just some dude from New Zealand or whatever. And, yeah, you know, yeah. they're just clones of him. Uh, I mean, this is much more interesting. It's like, apparently there were just clones of Jedi Masters that, like, were all, that came out wrong. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and somehow they all survived, like getting deep six. So now they're just, you know, flitting about the galaxy. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. Um, I guess we'll learn more about clones as we go on. Here's a touch I thought was pretty funny. In uh, so our our party has been split up. C three PO's with Han and Leia uh, in the market. Well, they also they also can't uh, they can't like uh, go straight to negotiations because. Said that the uh, chief negotiator is sick. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. 
uh, yeah, the chief negotiator is sick, so they're gonna they're gonna waste some time in the marketplace, and the, and um, they don't want to like risk uh, you know uh, uh, George H W Bush throwing up on the Japanese prime minister or anything. <laughs> the scene I would have liked to see, you know, a bim just just uh, chuck up chucking on uh, on Luke. Yeah. <laughs> so there. Uh, here's what I thought was really funny. So C3PO is is translating the tour guide. He says the marketplace has been the same spot for over 200 years. Uh, you know, and they're like admiring, like, oh yeah, it's very crowded. Lots of you know, lots of shoppers. Uh, crowded with more than just locals too. Scattered throughout the sea of yellow-clad bims. Uh, dash aside, don't they ever wear any color? Dash aside. He could see several other humans, a pair of baradas, an ishitib, a group of yuzumi, and something that looked vaguely like a peyonid. You can see why this place is worth getting into the New Republic, Leia murmured to him. <laughs> it's just like, is really, dog? The tax revenue from the flea market? <laughs> look at why the, you need this thing in your, galactic, in your galactic government? <laughs> They're it's selling... a hub of commerce. They're selling There's, corn, mercantile there's, goods. Yeah, and it's just—it's even saying that like there's like uh, there's metalware. They're looking at the metalware and a set of carving knives. Like it's not even like it's like the stock market or something. It's literally like bits and bobs at the flea market. Um, oh, so this is kind of this... an aside, but like I don't remember. Like, did in the original trilogy, did they ever refer to anybody as human? Uh, n- I don't think so. No, I don't recall that ever, ever happening. Yeah. It's very, it's very odd. <laughs> I mean, well, it's just one of those things like, uh, uh, this is also kind of an aside, but you'll notice like, uh, um, like the universe of Star Wars, you can't like sort of expect like anything, uh, you can't like make any preconceptions. So so, like, Zahn will introduce, like, concepts of, you know, Earth concepts, uh, you know, just for sake of, like, being able to, to put together a metaphor. Like, he'll say something's like a hornet's nest or, you know, something's right. at a snail's pace. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't know if hornets or snails exist in this universe. <laughs> right. Or am I supposed to believe they're mice and dogs? Like, what, what are we talking about here? I mean, uh, I, I understand what he's doing and, you know, it... I guess I I prefer it to to him like you know this is like a, a flagging uh, nest or right, you know right. just nonsense words all over the place, but it just it it just raises like those nerdy questions like when uh, when people got up in arms in the Lord of the Rings movies when one of the orcs said like looks like meat's oh, back yeah, on the yeah. menu and like nerds right. lost their shit it's like why would orcs know what a menu is there are no menus in Middle Earth, right? But I. But the thing is, I think with that, like, I'm gonna go to bat for that line and say, like, yeah, there's not like sit down restaurants or whatever. But these people know what feasting is. They know what going to a feast is. And you could say, like, the menu for a feast, we're having you know roast boar and stuffed pheasant and all that. Like, I think I think the line makes sense. People have a limited not a limited notion of what the word menu can mean because, of course, they're conditioned by uh, capitalism to conceive only of a commercial. Uh, uh, exchanges and whatnot, and going to a store and buying a treat. Um. I, I think a more, more pertinent <laughs> example would be, uh, I know in some movie, Han Solo has the line where he tells the guy, like, I'll see you in hell. And Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a, that's a real, like, well, we know that there's a different form of the afterlife uh, 
in the Star Wars universe than our universe, so why would he know the colloquialism or I'll see you in hell? <laughs> right. Like, shouldn't it be like, I'll see you when you're a blue ghost guy? Well, except Han doesn't believe in, in blue ghosts. He doesn't believe in the Force. Yeah, right? but he becomes well, I guess a blue he does, ghost I guess he in does one of those now. shitty movies. One of those sequels. Maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. But I think when he said go to hell, he, he didn't believe in Jedi stuff. Because, you know, those Jedis that he had grown up with for the first 10 years of his life, 10, 15 years of his life, and got murdered within his living memory, uh, he's like, ah, that's all hokum. That never happened. God, wouldn't it be those... great if it was like that episode of Seinfeld where Elaine finds out her boyfriend Putty is a fundamentalist Christian? We just find <laughs> out that, like, Han Solo is, like, devout. He's, yeah, he's like, a, he's like a Church of God, like, real uh, Bible thumper type. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Uh, Lay asked him to do something. He's like, uh, "Sorry, thou shalt not steal." Mm-hmm. Bible. <laughs> he's 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 like he's on a diplomatic mission, and he was like, mm, "I'm sorry, I can't do this. This is the gay planet. I, I don't think yeah. we should talk to these aliens. <laughs> these are the gay aliens." Um, oh, but anyway, speaking of uh, like you know throwing in you know like slow as a as a splizz splaz or whatever, there's a good one of those coming up. So uh, they're in the marketplace, uh, but their guide kind of slips away, melts away into all the other yellow-clad bims, and then a few aliens are kind of standing all around them. Uh, short aliens, you know, not much taller aliens. than bims. At least we get a little description. With steel gray skin, large dark eyes, and protruding jaws. So these are the same guys as Rook, our, uh, our little Yeah, guy. they, they uh, like a later chapter confirms they are Naguri, and I'm yeah. wondering, like, was that, like, purposeful is like Zan like revealing that at a later time that like they were Naguri the whole time or were we supposed to already know that I think it's so I think it's set up to be like they are new to our heroes but we the reader know it's a bit of dramatic irony we the reader know what they but he's are. so bad Han, at descriptions like I don't know who the hell these gray guys are <laughs> right as yeah there's no there's no like diagnostic thing for us to be like oh that's Nogri like not eh, we don't exactly know that ourselves as readers um, in their hands, they held Stokely sticks. Uh, and Han later explains this, this. And this is some of the greatest, I think this is one of the greatest sentences I've ever read in my life. Those things are called Stokely sticks. Shoot a spray net mist 200 meters with enough shock stun juice to take down a good-sized gun dark. Okay. <laughs> sure. sure. Stop, you know, shock stun juice. I'm, I'm going to spray stock shock stun juice 200 meters out of my Stokely stick. All right. So anyway, it was just like bug spray or whatever. I, I guess. think it's supposed to be. It's it's supposed to be some kind of. It's uh. It's for like taking down like big game, right? So it's like a trap. It's it sprays like spider web stuff. I guess it's 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 like Spider Man's squirty shit. You know. Yeah, I definitely have a note like that in a later chapter that it's like just Spider Man crap. It's Spider Man goop. Yeah. Um. So that's the big. That's the that's the cutoff there. Uh. So yeah, they oh, oh. They, sur- they surround the 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 gang and like are trying to like move them down a ramp. Right, and and Leia has has gotten the psychic uh, word from Luke that like, oh no, Luke is under attack too, and so then that's chapter seven is is Luke's, uh, Luke's experience that he he heard Leia call out through the forest, help, and he uh, and and here's my first note for that is uh, isn't this Jedi mind sharing crap just what. T- twins naturally have <laughs> that's a good point 
that's well, you always hear those makes, stories yeah. about like you know I knew uh, when my twin got into a car accident before I got the phone call or whatever. Right, right, right. So yeah, I mean, I, either they're just regular twins or all twins are Jedi's. So yeah, maybe I, yeah, I don't know. Make with that what you will. Uh, I mean, we have so a Luke mutual was... we have a mutual friend with uh, who has twins. Maybe we should find out if uh, they got like oh can, like, yeah they can move uh, X wings or whatever. <laughs> we should find that's uh, she's she's in a real uh, world of hurt if it's if they do have mind powers uh, those those little adorable scamps. Um, so Luke was over there uh, being bored and pretending to be interested in the ancient tapestries that they were showing him uh, on the top floor of the Tower of Law. Uh, and uh, so he gets also, let's see, he also gets ambushed, right? There's some more of the, uh, of the Nogri with some Stokely sticks. Uh, Luke has a little standoff moment there. He, like, is sort of trying to figure out, like, how to, how to best approach this. He's trying not to kill him. But uh, this, when... this chapter has the most egregious fan service, like Family Guy cutaway bullshit I've seen so far, which is uh, the following passage of like uh, Luke clenched his teeth, a memory of his brief skiff battle encounter with Boba Fett flashing through his mind. Wrapped in the bounty hunter's <laughs> smart rope, he'd escaped only by snapping the cable with a deflected blaster shot. But there would be no blasters to try that trick with. Yeah, so it's a completely <laughs> unnecessary paragraph of just. Hey, remember that time from Return of the Jedi when that happened? And then and, and then they it, played his and then they played his death for laughs. Yeah, <laughs> That's it's cool. like And I have to believe like this is the early 90s like Boba Fett isn't probably like at the height of his popularity. He doesn't have his own TV show for for example, no, but yeah. You know, nerds already cotton to to like, you know, being obsessed with him. So this is just like just egregious fan service. It's like what does Boba Fett have to do with this? <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's Luke remembering his his long history of getting into scraps and and, and fights, and of course, there's no yeah. Remember shots. that fight that is nothing like this fight. <laughs> it reminds me of that. Ooh, I won't have any blasters. Um, yeah, if only I had a blaster, then this situation would be appropriate. Uh, I like this. For that matter, he wasn't absolutely sure what his lightsaber could do directly against the sprays. It would be like trying to cut through a rope that was continually recreating itself. Like, yeah, all right. So anyway, so Luke... uh, Or rather, like trying to cut seven such ropes. (laughs) And that's... Reader, I would like to point out, that is its own paragraph. (laughs) That sentence, that aside, is not... It's its own paragraph in the the text. And I don't know why. Oh, boy. I, I do like how book. you know Luke and the Noguri just basically destroy these priceless, pri- uh, yeah, these priceless, the, priceless exemplars of BIM history. <laughs> just these tapestries of yellow-clad people standing in a line, I presume, because that's all we know that BIMs like to do. Uh, this so, is like going what, to the Royal Museum and just throwing people through the Magna Carta. <laughs> I would do that. Uh, I want. I would love to destroy uh, some piece of uh, of English heritage that way. Um, so yeah, well, anyway, we can't uh, have you know the Irish tis- uh, history museum of car bombs and and whiskey glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the hell culture you have. <laughs> 
All right. Leaving that aside, we'll, I need to educate you. We'll come back to that. But that, That'll be a Beyond <laughs> Thronderdome segment, the <laughs> Irish, good or bad. Uh, yeah, Daniel's educating Ronnie on the troubles. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, Luke manages to get out of his ambush. He, uh, he cuts those guys, cuts them in half, you know, lightsaber slicing and dicing all over the place. And then uh, extends his mind out through the force and lets uh, lets Leia know, oh, he's free, he's on his way. Uh, so it's a matter of you know, Luke or uh, Han just needs to to buy some time, and his big his big plan to buy some time is to steal a bunch of jewelry. Uh, so like <laughs> to make a ruckus because right now they're still you know the Nogri are kind of closing in on them, but they don't want to start a riot or anything, right? But they're you know they're they're sort of closing in on them. So Han to buy a little time. Uh, they, they they grab a bunch of jewelry off a table like they're like they're stealing it, and then the bims get really mad and dogpile them. Uh, so they're, so they're they're there under a you know a bunch of bims you know, beating them up trying to get their uh, their jewelry. Uh, and uh, that's when he is able to call in Chewbacca because Chewie's back at the Millennium Falcon. So because he's able to like, get on the comic. Chapter we have the line where. Uh, uh, Chewie had decided not to come because he hated rather violently being pawed by strangers. <laughs> Which get, I guess... Is there anyone who does like being pawed by strangers? <laughs> I also love that... Okay, that's another thing we know about Bims. They're a little short, they love to wear yellow and line up in, in rows, and they will absolutely paw your ass. They will. They are not Talk shy. Talk about a they planet of you. suffering a Me Too problem. <laughs> So uh, Luke manages to use one of the Stokely sticks. He's you know he's there at the top of the uh, the Tower of Law, looking down on the uh, on the arena, the marketplace bazaar flea market. Uh, so he uses the stick to squirt a uh, basically like Spider Man uh, a Spider Man rope and and swing down right as the Millennium Falcon blasts over and is you know uh, hovering over everything and all the bims scramble. Away so that between Chewie blasting and uh, Luke Skywalker chopping them up, they're able to kill all the would-be assassins, pile into the Millennium Falcon, and blast off into outer space to get away from it all. That just sort of made me wonder, like, how many people did Luke kill in the original trilogy? Because I can't it's actually think of that many, if well, any. Well, I mean, I, well, I, would get any, I guess every, every TIE fighter he shot down counts. Yeah, but I mean, um, like, per- I mean, like, personally killed, like yeah, like per- you know, personally take a lightsaber in like and chop fight him. scenes, right? I think the he he got a few guys on uh, on on Jabba's pleasure barge for sure. There were a few who just got lightsabered and tossed into the Sarlacc pit. So I would say maybe like half a dozen. I think on screen. I, I was just sort of wondering because like you hear like these like descriptions of like uh, piles of bodies, and it's like. Wow, that's kind of like un Star Wars. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're kind of remember, right. like you know, just uh, just piles of bodies everywhere, like <laughs> just corpses. Yeah. Um. So they they they've managed to escape. They're back on the on the Millennium Falcon. Leia is like, okay, well, when are we going back down? Uh, <laughs> of course, is like we're we're not going back down. What are you talking about? Uh, we are we are. This is this is all over. This is done. They reason out that it must be someone connected with the Empire who hired these mercenaries. Leia does this nice apologia for the Bims, where she's like, "Hey, you know, it, they didn't really mean anything by it. That one guy like took some money to like lead us to the marketplace, but he probably didn't know what it was for. 
which I thought was pretty like, this is your master negotiator diplomat. <laughs> this is the kind of, all right. I, I think well, you're, uh, you're bearing the lead of this scene, which is uh, C-3PO, uh, oh, C-3PO right. uh, comedic relief. <laughs> he's covered in, uh, he's covered in webbing. He's covered in goop. That's right. And well, here's, here's an odd, this is odd. Okay. Let's, let's actually read this so that uh, you, the listener can get a sense of just how odd this is. You, Luke said with a shake of his head, are a mess. I'm sorry, Master Luke, 3 Pio apologized, his voice almost inaudible beneath the layers of hardened spray net that covered much of his upper body like some bizarre sort of gift wrapping. I seem to always be causing you trouble. That's not true, and you know it, Luke soothed him, considering the small collection of solvents arrayed in front of him on the Falcon's lounge table. So, like, did he just go rummaging in the tool closet for solvents? Like, what the what kind of... Why would there be a yeah. collection of solvents on the spaceship? Well, another scene, uh, also in the scene, like he's telling Leia, he'll be all right. He may have to stay like this till we get back to Coruscant, though. Han told me these Stokely sticks are used mostly by big game hunters on out of the way planets, and the spraying that they use is a pretty exotic mixture. Yeah, it's, this ain't your this ain't your mama's uh, spray net. <laughs> this is an exotic mixture. And that's where she introduced that maybe the Bims can suggest something. We'll ask them when we get back down. I like that it introduces, like, oh, yeah, we're going back down onto the planet where we almost just got, you know, kidnapped. So maybe we can ask the Bims if they have any good solvents. <laughs> what a weird setup. Le- Leia does make the point, like, it's considered bad form to pull out right after one of your ships has just shot up a major local marketplace. <laughs> that is a good point. Although, you know, maybe this is uh, Timothy Zahn's commentary on uh, American diplomacy, huh? You know? I mean, maybe. I don't know. I think I think it's more just I, I do not know. This is a very strange scene. Um, well, Leia goes on to explain that, like, the BIM that led them into the marketplace was bribed. Right, right. So it's so that's so it's fine. <laughs> so it's really not a well, problem. Well, she, she has the line where you can't blame a whole society for the actions of a few individuals. And, yeah. uh, which is a fair point. I but, do uh, think, I do think you can, like, if one of those individuals is like an official on the diplomatic reception committee and took a bribe. I, I do think you're justified in like being a little cagier with them. <laughs> That's one man's opinion. One man's opinion. Um, and I thought this yeah, was interesting. Yeah. Be, Leia, uh, Leia and Han argue a bit about like, cause Han like took them to white speed like two minutes ago and, Leia right, right. Had like told the Bims that they would re- be right back. We'll down. be right back. Yeah. Uh, alas. Um, and he says, uh, "Speaking of our pals," Luke says, "Did either of you happen to ask the Bims who or what they were?" The Bims didn't know. Leia said, "I've certainly never seen anything like them." We can check the Imperial archives when we get back to Coruscant. Han said, feeling gingerly at one cheek where a bruise was already becoming visible. Um, that's I've noticed. That's the first uh, use of the word gingerly. In the trilogy, yeah. when I was first reading these back in middle school, um, I remember I was sitting in the office of, I think it was where I got my allergy shots, and I was reading the second book in the You saw the, the You saw the word uh, ginger and you felt seen? <laughs> no, I read the word ginger twice on one page and rolled my eyes. It was like, buddy, get an editor. <laughs> So this is one of this is one of Timothy Zahn's favorite. I, I think it was more, you know, you thought finally people with my hair color because uh, people don't know this, but back then Daniel had hair. 
I did have hair. I felt very represented by Mara Jade, though. So you know, I already have my uh, my my insert ready to go with the completely uh, capable, super cool, sexy redhead, much like me, Mara Jade. Um, so it, so that kind of wraps up where we are. They've they've escaped their their ambush attempt. Uh, they're trying to, which of course was ordered by uh, Admiral Thrawn, uh, who knew where they were going to be. So, uh oh, you know, got to work on that on that uh, opsec. Uh, we, we do we do get a couple more uh, Family Guy cutaways that I want to note. Uh, oh sure, where, where uh, a memory flashed through Luke's mind: Han and the Falcon sweeping right through the middle of that first Death Battle Death Star battle to shoot Darth Vader's fighters off his back. <laughs> Right. And, and then, like, uh, closing out the chapter is like a brief discussion of, uh, you know, when is Leia finally going to get a lightsaber? Which, in right, real life, right. the answer is never. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, they're sort of like, yeah, she'll she'll get one, uh, you know, once she, like, uh, sort of, like, takes a, a break from her diplomacy mission to, to, uh, to spend more time on her studies. And, and then we... We get uh, like to end the end the uh, the chapter. Leaning back in his seat, Luke watched her tackle the hardened webbing—a familiar hollow pain in the pit of his stomach. I took it upon myself, Ben Kenobi had said about Darth Vader, to train him as a Jedi. I thought I could instruct him just as well as Yoda. I was wrong. The words echoed through Luke's mind all the way to Coruscant. So again, it's just a flashback to like shit that happened in the original trilogy, and just <laughs> Luke thinking like. Well, what if my sister turns out like my dad? <laughs> right. What What if I turn her into my dad? Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Think Think uh, about that, folks. <laughs> so that's So that's where we are in, in this. Uh, that's chapters four through seven of Heir to the Empire. Uh, how are you feeling, Ronnie? How's this How's this shaping up for you? Um. I mean, there, there's not a whole. I mean, we we talked at length, but. Uh, all told, there's not a whole lot uh, going on in these chapters. It's mostly just uh, setting the table for for uh, what's going to happen later. I mean, uh, it's mainly just like Thrawn uh, doing like part two of his plan and uh, a, a failed diplomatic mission that lasted like three seconds. <laughs> was was instantly derailed by a, a flea market ambush. As 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 happens, <laughs> as, as these often are. <laughs> I mean, hey, that's what happened in Jimkata. Remember that part? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Jimkata came out a few years before this was written, so I think maybe Timothy Zahn owes uh, a little debt of inspiration to uh, to Kurt Thomas, star of Jimkata. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, you're right. It's a lot of table setting. There's still not a lot of uh, moving parts exactly. At least we have our dark Jedi. Uh, we did have the introduction of a dark Jedi and a whole lot of weird Zonisms. So I think we still had a lot of fun this episode, even though not a lot happened. Um, but this does. Bring I, us I to, do of like course. that. I do like that Zon uh, like evinces like a level of confidence. Like he he can go like you know four chapters without like going back to Talon card and Mara Jade. He'll just let that hang for a while. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. Cause it, it, when it started out, it, it did seem like we were going to rotate among these three points of view, but uh, yeah, they kind of dropped the Talon card angle <laughs> pretty, pretty quick. So I don't know, maybe, maybe they'll come back to him. I remember Talon card and Mara Jade being more of a thing in the second book. So that might be, it might be a minute before we come back to them. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, we have to remember this is a sprawling trilogy, not unlike the Godfather uh, series. Indeed. Indeed. So that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. M- much, much as, uh, much as, of course, the uh, oh, what's a big pretentious trilogy? Oh, Nausgaard. I don't know. I, I, I wasn't able to come up with it quick enough. I can't make I, a I, joke. I do have a question, though. Maybe you know the answer. Uh, was this always supposed to be a, a trilogy of books, or was it like, you know, the original Star Wars, where there was just the first one, and it was successful enough to get a sequel? No, it, it, it was conceived of as a trilogy. In fact, it was conceived of directly as a sequel trilogy. The idea being that you were making a trilogy as a sequel to the trilogy like it wasn't a matter of like I'm making a sequel to Return of the Jedi. He was okay. going to be writing. I'm writing a sequel to the Star Wars trilogy. As I, I was just curious because I I think it's like just a recent thing that like uh, especially uh, films will like set out to create a trilogy of films, uh, right? As opposed to like just <laughs> being successful enough to get a sequel, right? So that's right. why you end up with you know move, first movies that are basically just set up for things that will be more interesting later and that's why i always love the the uh movies that aren't successful enough to uh to actually achieve the trilogy of movies that they clearly set up (laughs) those are always a lot of fun (laughs) like just Uh, all those ya uh ya trilogies that like crash and burn or 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 maybe my favorite (laughs) example which is the divergent uh quadrilogy that the third movie did so poorly that they, they first of all uh, were just gonna move the uh, the fourth movie to like be on uh, on Cinemax oh, yeah. or whatever, and then yeah. the main cast was like, "Hey, we signed up for like a movie, not like some TV bullshit." So then it just never happened. Yeah, that, that was that was pretty funny. <laughs> I I do like that they went with the uh, and you know what they they if they had just like, well I don't know was. That was one where the books were a, a, a quadrilogy, right? Or, the books or were a trilogy, a tr- but this was also trilogy, in that time where the you, would, you would take yeah. the last book and you would split it into two. Right, right. Oh, they really fucked themselves with that one. That's hilarious. Oh, boy. That's what happens well, when you of... don't film the, the last two movies back to back. That's right. Uh, uh, well, speaking of splitting things apart, huh? we have come to... The portion of the show where Ronnie and I enter the Thronder Dome to hash out all of life's most pressing uh, conflicts between myself and him in the hopes of achieving, of course, uh, perhaps a greater understanding in friendship or at the very least victory over our opponents on the field of the battle of the mind. Ronnie, what is our topic in the Thronder Dome today? Seafood. Seafood. Hey, here's the thing. When I see food, I don't eat it. Seafood, not happening. Terrible. Well, I I I disagree with you. <laughs> I think uh, seafood is delicious. Uh, um, it's ethically sound because fish don't have feelings. I mean, you're always you're always reading those uh those those news stories like, oh, it turns out pigs have more intelligence than you would think, or you know. Like, they can feel pain, or they have emotional intelligence. You ever hear of, like, yeah, it, the the halibut really has opinions on Israel. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it, it's just like that, uh, that, uh, that 
the the Quint speech in, in Jaws about, you know, the shark having lifeless eyes like a doll's eyes. And, mm. you know, that, that qualifies for all fish. They they're unfeeling uh they're unfeeling uh evolutionarily uh dead ended uh monsters. <laughs> so well, it's okay uh... to eat them. Uh, well, not to, not to get into. I'm, I'm not going to launch into a uh, an impassioned defense of the fish as a highly successful evolutionary uh, form. Um, but here's here's what I'm going to say about it. All right, seafood. It, this stuff does not belong to us. Okay, this belongs to the deep. All right, it needs to stay down there. We are humans. We are savanna apes. We are not meant to go delving into the wide seas to find critters to eat. It's not for us. We shouldn't touch them. Uh, also, it's gross. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. It's gross. I uh, Seafood, I, I, you know, it, I'm just not going to go for it. Uh, it's wrong. It's not right. We should be eating chickens, you know, maybe some goats. I don't know. Stuff that's kind of like I can go and, and find on, on land somewhere. I don't like the idea of eating something that required uh, just any number of, of, uh, of industrial tools to acquire it's almost like uh, it's almost like eating oil right like you get gas into trawler out there and scoop up all the halibuts and shrimps and stuff uh-uh, i'm not going for it uh yeah leave well, that stuff well, in the ocean where well, it belongs well how about this you know what do we have to drink to survive water what's in water fish you, you get a drink of water you you get a meal with it <laughs> uh ronnie you've 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 really uh, done the end run around me again. I, I don't really have a rebuttal for that. I will say I do wonder about the ecological consequences of like just dragging up a huge amount of uh, biomass from the ocean and eating it and leaving it on land. Like, does it ever get back to the ocean? Do those nutrients ever make it back? Like, I guess when we like flush our sewage into the ocean, maybe that's how we give it back. It seems, uh, I don't know. I don't like the idea of hauling a bunch of nutritive elements out of the ocean. Uh, but, you know. I think maybe, science maybe they, has shown us that the oceans are just fine. <laughs> That's, that was the big, I, <coughs> I think you're right. I remember reading the, uh, the big scientific report where it said everything is a-okay. Uh, they, you know, scientists love chiming in to say, don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, you know... Uh... There, there's so much. I mean, Earth is two thirds water, so <laughs> ideally, our our uh, our diet should be two thirds fish, right? Um, I guess if you're going by the percentages, here's 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 the compromise I will offer you, Ronnie. I will I will go to a seafood restaurant with you. I think that will be a fun time. It will be a good date. But as far as I'm concerned, the only seafood I'm eating is a basket of hush puppies. Uh, there's the sound of uh, here's my gavel. Knock knock. Uh, debate is concluded, and as always, we leave it up to the listener to decide who won uh, in this round in the Thronder Dome in our in our ongoing battle of uh, of the mind between myself and Ronnie. Um, <laughs> all right, man. Any any final thoughts before we uh, close out this episode? Um, I, no, I I think we've uh, we've uh, we've done a thorough job of uh, getting into the the mind of Timothy Zahn when he. Uh, he wrote this tome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, and it is a tome. He probably thought of it uh, as that uh, when he wrote it. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to see where this is going. We have, you know, it's a lot of table setting, but uh, we'll see, you know, the, as, as Grand Admiral Thrun might say, the chess pieces are on the board, Ronald. 
Let us see how they move. Huh? Yeah, I mean, chess is something yeah, that I, I could write in this. Star Wars, right? I mean, they had the, the 3D chess in the, the first one that they were they playing did, on yeah. the Millennium Falcon. Moreover, the name of Thrawn's alien species is Chiss. I, I don't mean, think that that's just, a coincidence. That's just like an Eagle Heart joke <laughs> where where Chris Elliott's character is supposed to come up with a with an alias for himself and he just says his name is Chiss or Crisp. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Well, anyway, thank you for joining us uh, for uh, going over Heir to the Empire, chapters four through seven. We will be back next time, starting with chapter eight. And I haven't yet determined how long we'll be reading that. So uh, that I guess we'll just consider it open-ended. Um, but uh, yeah, we will see y'all next time in the amazing world of Timothy Zahn. Okay, goodbye. <laughs>